All right, so very excited to start this brand new uh, summer message series with you, Justified People. Through God, we are more, we're always more than just people. But I hear all the time, I say it myself, uh, this phrase, I'm just, and then we fill in the blank with some kind of diminishing descriptive of ourselves, right? I'm just a sinner. I'm just broken. I, I just have a past. Uh, I just, ordinary, whatever, you fill in the blank. We do it with ourselves. We do it with other people. I'm just, and then we settle for more or for less than God wants to do in our lives. But let me tell you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living in you, Christ is one with you, you are more than just a person. And it's not because you are so smart or so good or so able or so anything, it's because Christ lives in you. We need to get rid of this language that I am just anything. Now think about the definition of justified. To be justified means that because of somebody else who has authority, I am declared right or good. Now think about that. It doesn't mean that I deserve it. It doesn't mean that I've earned it. It's based on the authority and the character of the person who's able to declare it that says, I am good, I am right. And that's what we have in Jesus, the one with authority, the one who's perfect in all things, declares over us because of what he has already done that I am right and I am good. How dare us diminish what Jesus has done and what he offers to do in us and through us and for us in life. And we've got to be willing to say, I'm not going to use this language anymore. I'm not just a person. I am somebody who's justified by Christ. And so we're going to walk through the Old Testament this summer. We're going to look at some familiar names. We're going to look at some names that maybe aren't so familiar to you. And we're going to see how God moves in and through our lives to justify us, to redeem us, to bring us into what he wants to do for us, what he wants to do through us in the world. And we're going to start off with a guy named Hezekiah. Now, who's Hezekiah? Uh, Hezekiah was one of the kings of Judah. If you remember your Bible history, uh, after David and Solomon, God's kingdom was divided, a northern kingdom of Israel, a southern kingdom of Judah. And Hezekiah was one of the kings of Judah. And he was a good king. For the most part, he was a king who sought after the heart of God. He was faithful. He tried to do things that God wanted him to do. You might even be able to make an argument that he was one of the most righteous kings throughout Judah's history. But like all of us, Hezekiah had some failures as well. Hezekiah had lots of reasons to make excuses. But really at the end of the day, like you and I, he has to be responsible for the things that he does, the choices that he makes. And somewhere in his journey, in his kingship, uh, he was attacked, his kingdom was attacked by Assyria. And we're going to see Hezekiah does two things. Number one, he tries to make a treaty with Assyria. Now, how does he do that? Well, he goes into the temple, God's house. He strips it of gold and silver. He offers it to the king of Assyria. And he says, hey, can we make peace? I'll make a treaty with you. Here is God's money if you will back off. It, it works for a little while, but the king of Assyria doesn't stay away. He comes back and he lays siege to the city of Jerusalem. 
And we discover that Hezekiah has turned to a neighboring nation of Egypt that maybe they will help him. We go through the story, we soon discover that Egypt is not able to help Hezekiah and he does what many of us Christ followers would do when we finally get to the end of ourselves, and we finally realize that all of our efforts have come to nothing, that really we should have turned to God in the first place and he turns to God. In fact, Hezekiah turns to God in two different instances, uh, really in the same season of life. Uh, one, he turns to God to deliver them from Assyria And at that same time, Hezekiah is struck with a fatal illness. He prays to God and God does this miraculous event where he turns time back. A shadow moves backwards on the wall to prove to Hezekiah that God is in it. Hezekiah is healed from that illness. He praises God. But before we put Hezekiah up on a pedestal, the story ends as Babylon comes to visit Hezekiah. Look at all the wonderful things you're doing, Hezekiah. This is awesome. You're a great king. And Hezekiah's like, aren't I? You know, I'm a pretty good king. I got, got some stuff going on. And he, little does he know that these are spies who are checking out what's going on in the kingdom. And Hezekiah shows them everything. And Isaiah, contemporary of Hezekiah, prophet of God, says, Hezekiah, you've made a big mistake. Babylon's going to come and not only is going to defeat Jerusalem, he's going to destroy all of Judah. And you're going to be exiled. And Hezekiah's like, well, when is this going to happen? And Isaiah says, well, it won't be in your lifetime, but in the lifetime of your children and grandchildren. And we see the selfishness and the pride that is hidden within Hezekiah rise up to the top. He's like, "Woo! at least it's not me. And we're kind of left with this like bad taste in our mouth. And I realize like so many of us, our faith journey is this mix of faithfulness and failure. And thank God, never at any point is it dependent on our track record, but it is dependent on the power and the goodness and the love and the grace of God at work in and through our lives. And the lesson of Hezekiah's life for you and me that we need to hold on to is when I am tempted to look around me for solutions, for help, for salvation. May I have the uh, intelligence, the faith to say, let me look to God. Not when it all falls apart, but let me look to God from start to finish, who is my savior. So let's kind of do a a little bit of intentional look at some of the elements of Hezekiah's life. We're gonna start in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse two. And we're introduced to a guy named Ahaz. Now Ahaz, a king of Judah, was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. As a matter of fact, if you keep reading, the very next verse tells us some of the things that Ahaz begins to do. He begins to set up pagan altars. Uh, He's worshiping false gods, even to the point where he takes his own son and sacrifices him to a pagan god. Well, that's some pretty serious failure, right? Well, how does this relate to Hezekiah? Well, we jump ahead to chapter 18, verse 1. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of who? Son of who? Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So you've got this terrible, evil king Ahaz, who is the father of Hezekiah. 
Now remember, what did Hezekiah do? I mean, Ahaz, he set up pagan altars, he worshiped false gods, he even sacrificed his son to pagan gods. How do you, this, how do you think this lands for Hezekiah? Right, my dad just sacrificed my brother to some pagan gods. I better walk lightly in my relationship with him. He had every reason in the world to play it safe. He had every reason in the world to say, Lord, I'm a victim. I can't do this. It's too hard for me. I'm just, I'm going to give up. And many of us can make the same excuses. My parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my uncles, my siblings. I got all this generational sin and brokenness. What am I going to do? I'm just broken. But like Hezekiah, we can turn to God and say, no, 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 no. I'm not a victim of what was. I have victory in Jesus who is and will be. That's a challenge for many of us. We got all the reasons in the world to throw our hands up and say, I can't. And God would say to you, that's right, but it's not about you. It's about what I want to do in and through your life. So let go of what was and let's walk forward together. Now, we keep following the, the life of Hezekiah, and we realize he was a man of faith. He was a man who trusted God, but he was not a man without mistakes. He was not a man without failure. We talked about earlier when Assyria laid the heat on, when the pressure was coming, at first at least, Hezekiah doesn't turn to God. What does he do? The first thing he tries to do is what all of us try to do. How can I fix this? This isn't good. What am I going to do? What have I got to work with here? And he looks to the temple and he's like, wow, look at all this gold. And look at all this silver. And he offers that to the king of Assyria and he gets relief for a short time. And then the king of Assyria, this guy named Sennacherib, he comes back again and he lays siege to the city of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah has just seen the city of Samaria and Israel fall to this king. Listen, be careful when we base what God is doing in our life by what we see around us. And he sees what happened and he's, he's overcome with fear. And so he turns, we believe, to Egypt for deliverance. And we soon discover that Egypt is not able to help either. Look at what the king of Assyria says to Hezekiah as he's laying siege to the city. In verse 19, the field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all who depend on him. Well, the king of Assyria is saying, as you just go right on ahead and you depend on Egypt, because little does Hezekiah know that Assyria has just defeated Egypt on its way to them. As a matter of fact, a contemporary of Hezekiah, a prophet named Isaiah, had warned him and the leaders of Judah of this very thing. In Isaiah chapter 30, we find this. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. And that is so key. 
How many times do we carry out plans that are not God's, but ours? And we reap the consequences of that. He says, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. Who go down to where? Egypt. Watch out. I know what you're going to do. Don't do it. Who go down to Egypt without consulting me. Who look for help to Pharaoh. It's protection to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. It's exactly what Hezekiah experienced. Not listening to the warnings of God, not doing it God's way, not, not ever even asking, Lord, what am I supposed to do in this moment? But rushing on ahead, first asking, what can I do? Then asking, well, who can help me? Never once asking, how can God help me? What does God want to do in this moment? Listen, we live in a spiritual world. We need to open our eyes to the spiritual truths and realize that God is in it all. And when we don't look to him, we do it to our detriment. And Hezekiah experienced the, the shame of this. Here I am, I thought they would help me, and now I'm in trouble. Now before we heap all the blame on Hezekiah, let's look at our own lives for just a second. How many of us do the very same thing? Listen, we know, it's not about what we know. We know that we should turn to God, it's about what we do. Even while we know I should be praying, I should be looking to God, I should be waiting, I should be expecting God to move, I'm trying to work all things for myself here. The same saying, Lord, what is it you're about to do? How can I lean into and walk with you? And we experience hard moments in life. And some of those moments would, would break us where, where we experience a great sadness, where we exp experience just brokenness. You ever been in that moment where like, man, I just, I've let the events and circumstances of life take control. And in that moment, I'm just sad. And rather than responding in faith, we respond out of that feeling. And maybe one of the things that we do is we self-medicate. I just don't want to feel it anymore. <laughs> Right? It hurts. I'm broken. And, and so we take something or, or we participate in something. We give ourselves to something just to numb it. Just so I don't have to feel it. And what we don't realize is it's not only am I not dealing with the problem that needs to be dealt with, but in the process of running away from it, I'm losing myself. And many of us, Listen, I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol. I'm talking about all the things that we self-medicate with and trying to numb what we're walking through. We lose who we are in the midst of it. And not only do the brokenness, the problems take control, but now we've given ourselves and something else takes control of us. We gotta watch out for that. Maybe it's not that, but maybe what we do is we agonize over it. <laughs> And just hour after hour, day after day, week after week. You ever been in that moment where you just fixate on something? And you play out the scenario of all the things that you think are going to happen because of this scenario. And you're just overwhelmed by it. And we spend all this time and energy and resources agonizing over things that most of it won't ever happen. And see, not only are we worrying about things that will never happen, but all that energy that should be put into walking with God who has the solution for us, we're spending all that energy somewhere else. 
And we're missing out on what God wants to do for us in that broken place. Or maybe we just get to a place of despair. I just give up. I can't do this. I can't fix it. It's over. We throw up our hands. We give up maybe on our calling that God has for us. Or we give up on a relationship. Or we give up on faithfulness. Or we give up on character. And we settle for less than God wants for us. We quit working on the marriage. We quit doing our best at work. We quit trying to make wise decisions financially. We quit sharing the gospel with that friend. We quit showing up in the places where God has called us to serve because we have this place of despair. Maybe for you, it's not where your place where you're just like, I'm just so overwhelmed and broken and sad and, and I'm gonna respond to that feeling. Maybe what you're feeling is you're mad. Like life has hit you in the face and you're ready to throw a right hook, right? Like, like let's see what I got. I'm coming at you. And what I wanna do is I'm gonna make things happen because I'm frustrated. And so maybe what you do is you try to manipulate and what is manipulation? Manipulation is just simply giving or withholding anything to get what you want. And so we work the relationships and we work the resources and we work the things that are happening around us to turn it in our favor. And I promise you out of personal experience that you're gonna get one of two results from manipulation and neither one of them is anything that you want. One result could be that you get what you want in the short term, but to get there, you sacrifice the relationships you want along the way. And you get the desired result, but not the desired relationship. Or, you know what, sometimes, or a lot of time, because we can't see what's coming around the corner, we do what we think needs to be done based on what we see right now, and we don't even get what we want now because things change right around the corner. Manipulation is no way to go. Maybe what we do sometimes is we ally ourselves with other people. And we look to a relationship, or we look to a job, or we look to a reputation, or we look to a role we play, or a title we have. We look to something or somebody in life to be our savior. And I'm gonna look to this, and I guarantee you one result, when you look to people or things in this world to be your savior, you will always experience disappointment. Because the reality is, is you're not a God, good God, neither am I, neither is anybody around us, neither the job or any role that you look to or your reputation, those things are gonna let you down because they're not good gods. And there is one who has been faithful and always will be and has shown himself to be true and he wants to be our God if we'll turn to him. And maybe what you really do ultimately is like, I'm ready to duel, right? I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to bring it. Like, you hurt me. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna work this situation out for my good and it's gonna be in your face. I'm gonna get this promotion and you're not. Or I'm gonna get this relationship and you're not. Or maybe we become a social media warrior and we're slandering somebody all over Facebook or Instagram. Or maybe it's not somebody. Christians, we need to wake up. Right? Sometimes in the name of righteousness, we slander organizations and all kinds of groups of people rather because it's easier to throw somebody under the bus than it is to be the light of Christ. And so we come at people, we come at groups. Maybe we gossip. Maybe we hold a grudge. 
and we're dueling it out. Why? Not because we think God's called us to it, because ultimately we want to get what we want. We've got to watch out for these things. You know, Hezekiah fell to some of the things. He's, he was agonizing. He was trying to manipulate situations. He, he wanted to come at it. But what would have happened if at the beginning he said, Lord, what do you want to see happen in and through this situation? Because God was waiting. God had a plan. He had something he wanted to do. And eventually Hezekiah comes around. And he says, Lord, I've tried it all. It's not working. God, what do you want to do? And we see two times where Hezekiah comes to the Lord in prayer to be delivered from Assyria, to be healed of his illness. And God shows up in each moment. And I want us to look at this first prayer where he prays to God for deliverance and unearths some truths that we can hold on to as we come to God because hard stuff's gonna happen in life. For many of us, we're walking through it right now. How do we let the Lord move in the way that God wants to? So let's take a look at Hezekiah's prayer. The first thing that we see him do in Isaiah chapter 37 is he calls us to repent. God, we come and we repent. We change our direction. God, we, we stop going the way we were going and we come back to you. Isaiah 37 verses 1 and 2. When King Hezekiah heard this, talking about the threats of Assyria, he tore his clothes it put on sackcloth and went into the temple to the Lord. God, I've been trying to manipulate. I've been trying to ally myself. This is not working. Let me come back to you. And he goes into the house of God. And he sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priest, all also wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, who had warned him before. So what does he do? God... I got to stop doing what I was doing. And he puts on sackcloth. He puts on ashes, which is a typical act of somebody who says, I was in the wrong. God, I should have been doing it your way, but I was doing it my way. I've got to change direction. And it could be that part of the reason we find ourselves in the mess, not every time, sometimes life just is hard. Life is broken. Life is messy. Sometimes people hurt us. But sometimes we are where we are because of what we do and what we decide to do and not turning to God. God, help me to change direction and turn back to you. And then he says, Lord, forgive us. In verses three and four. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to, to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander whom the master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words of the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant still survives. This day, it's not a good day. It's a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. It is a day of distress, God, because we have turned our back on you. God, it's a day of rebuke because, Lord, you are calling us out for our sin. And God, it's a day of disgrace because we realize what we've done. And when we get to that place, God doesn't stiff arm us. He doesn't say, figure it out. He says, come to me and God is willing and ready and able to forgive. But what's so key here is he says, God, forgive us, not just me. 
We talk all, about, all the time, God, I want to see revival. I want to see you move. I want to see your glory. God, I want to see you show up. You know what God calls us to do is to pray for our own personal forgiveness, but also that of the people around us. God, would you show up in the lives of my kids, of my spouse, of my family, of my coworkers, of the people in my church, and the people in my school, and the people in my neighborhood, and the people in my community, would you turn their heart back to you to pray for you to forgive them? Because when you pray to forgive, for God to move in somebody's life to forgive them, then God is drawing them into the, himself. Later on in the other prayer that Hezekiah prays, Hezekiah acknowledges this. God, maybe the reason you have allowed this pain is for my own good to draw me back to you. And so we pray for our own forgiveness and for the people around us that we be drawn back into God. Not to try to figure it out, but say, God, forgive us. Help us. Draw us into you. And then he prays, God, we can't, but you can what he says in verse 16. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. God, there's a kingdom coming at me, but you know what? You're the, you're the God of that kingdom. <laughs> Right? God, there's, there's some stuff coming at me, but you're the God over all things. God, there's a person, he's coming at me, she's coming at me, but you're the God of all people. God, there's some brokenness that I'm, I'm walking through, but you're the God of healing and redemption. You're the God over all. I've tried it all. I can't fix it, by God, but you can. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that God is able to move in our lives that we would stop trying to fix everything and say, Lord, I just want to be faithful. I want to seek you out in this. God, I want to seek you. You can heal my marriage. God, you can heal and work through my financial struggles. God, you can, can redeem this relationship. God, you can take the gospel to my coworker that I've been praying for. God, you can lead me in this decision. I can't. I've messed it up time and time again, God, but you can. And this leads right into the, the cry of Hezekiah's heart. He says, God, rescue us. Rescue us, Lord. Verses 17 and 20. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words that are being spoken, God. In verse 20, Lord, deliver us. Deliver us, Lord. Maybe you're in a place where you need some rescue. Maybe there's a physical illness you're walking through or some financial troubles or relationship problems. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online. And you've never really said yes to, to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life and you need rescue from sin and death. Because he's proven himself to be able time and time and time again transforming our lives, doing miracles in the world, setting us free from addiction and, and the things that hold us. He's proven himself to be able and he wants to come and rescue. But here's the most critical part of it all. And it's the next part, the last part of the prayer that Hezekiah prays. He says, Lord, the reason I wanna pray this is I want you to protect your glory and reputation. Verses 18 through 20, he says, 
It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these peoples in their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. This was the taunt of the king of Assyria as he came to Hezekiah. Hey, you're dependent on your God, but guess what? All the other nations were dependent on their God. You know what we did with their God? We threw them in the fire. We destroyed them. And Hezekiah says, God, I know that that happened to those gods, but they're not you. God, they're not, they're not the one true God. He says, now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand. Why? So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Some of us are here today and part of your struggle has been that you're calling out to God and in your version of the story, what you see in here is that God is not answering. And it might be that God is allowing some pain to draw you into him to come to this conclusion that what God wants to ultimately do is not just bring us pleasure, not just bring us comfort, not just bring us ease, but he wants to reveal his glory in our lives. He wants to show us how amazing and glorious he is for us and for the world. James tells us this in the book of James, it says, you're not getting what you pray for because you're only praying for the things that will bring you pleasure. And when we come to a place of maturity in our walk with Christ, where we say, Lord, my one desire is your glory, that you would be known, that all the other gods would fail, that all of them would fall before you because you're the one true God. We get to a place where two things are going to happen in our prayer life. One is we're going to start to come to God with a, an incredible growing faith because we see how God will show up when we pray for God to bring himself glory. And the other thing that will happen is our prayers will change in what we ask for. It's not that God doesn't care about every little thing. God has great compassion for us. But our heart begins to change and we begin to say, Lord, would you do in my life and would the way you do it in my life bring you glory? So that all the world and so that I would understand who you are. God answers that prayer. And ultimately God wants to show us that the victory is really not in what we try to do. But he brings us to a place where we say, God, I cannot, but you can. And so here's what I want to encourage you with as we close out. Three little simple words. Pause, pray, praise. In that moment when it's hard and you're tempted to lash out, when you're tempted to give up, instead, would you reach out to the Lord who loves you? Would you look up to him? Say, God, what are you doing in this moment? Before I make a hasty decision, before I try to manipulate, before I self-medicate, before I get into agony and despair, God, before I, I start to fight, let me just pause for a second. God, I don't want to react. I want to respond based on your truth. And then we pray, Lord, forgive us. God, rescue us based on what you can do. I'm in a moment of struggle, of difficulty. I don't know how to get out of it, Lord, but I need you. And we pray and then we praise. 
And we praise even before we see the solution. And here's why. It's because whatever God is going to do, because he's God and because he's good, it's going to be good. It doesn't mean that life is easy and comfortable and pleasurable all the time, but God is leading us to his kingdom. And I guarantee you it's gonna be good when we get to his kingdom. When we see Jesus face to face, it's gonna be good. And it might be, as Hezekiah prayed, that God is allowing this to happen right now for my good. I can't see it right now, but I'm gonna praise him in the midst of it because he's good. And he will begin to grow a faith in us. And we don't have to despair because even in the darkest moments, we expect God's goodness to show up. Because it's not based on what we can do, but what God can do. And that was the message of Jesus from start to finish. I love the, the things that Jesus said. He said, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, come and, and abide in the Father. Abide in me so that I can bring you fruit. Never once did Jesus say, would you please just figure it out? <laughs> Never once did Jesus say, when you get this worked out, we can do something together. And he said, the victory's in me. 